on the morning of September 11, 2001. I was sleeping in a bit after a late evening the night before. My college roommate came into the room after his first class and woke me up. Have you seen the news? He said. Flipped on the TV and the Twin Towers appeared belching smoke. And they threw to the replay of the second plane hitting the tower. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. But somehow I still thought I might have class that day. So I got up and got dressed and went to the student union to get something to eat. Every eye was glued to the television. Several people were crying. And then over the PA, we were told to evacuate the campus. Someone, clearly not hugged enough by their own mother as a child, thought it would be hilarious to phone in a bomb threat. So chaos was added to chaos as students evacuated buildings, then the whole campus. Wondering why the terrorists would bother with Decorah, Iowa, of all places. To top off the terrors of the day, a student of Middle Eastern descent was attacked on her way back to campus by a man who found a convenient outlet for his rage. Many of us who had thought of Luther as this kind, gentle place were thrown into shock. In the space of a few hours, the world we thought we knew had been destroyed. It truly was my generation's JFK or Pearl Harbor moment. In the Bible, chaos, utter turmoil, confusion, and negation of being is in the background. It's always in the background. In the beginning, when God creates the heavens and the earth, chaos is there. When you hear water, God's spirit moved over the face of the waters. That's chaos. God's spirit moves over the waters and brings forth order, light, and life. God sets boundaries for the waters of chaos, keeping them to their place, both above and below. Creation is not just making something out of nothing. It's making the whole cosmos out of less than nothing, really. It brings order from total disorder. When we read the flood story, we might not know what to do with it. The story itself seems far-fetched at best, but... If we read beyond the literal, we may find what this story tells us about God, what it tells us about creation, and what it tells us about ourselves. Since the garden, sin proliferates. Cain murders his brother Abel in chapter 4, Genesis 4. Cain's great-great-great-grandson Lamech also commits murder. By the time we get to our story, we hear that human sin has unleashed chaos in God's good creation, causing total ruin. God isn't angry about this ruin, though. There's another emotion, more curious. God is brokenhearted, so brokenhearted that God regrets creating in the first place. There's so much in this passage that's hard to understand. How could an eternal, perfect God have a broken heart? How could God not have known what God's creation would do? And why condemn all flesh by a flood? 
What did the animals ever do to anyone? They're thorny questions above my pay grade. But one thing seems clear. Humans took the divine prerogative, the divine prerogative of setting limits for chaos or unleashing it, and unleashed chaos over the whole world. The evil of human beings is infectious, contaminating everything. We know this is true today. There's never truly such a thing as a private sin. Even what we do in the privacy of our own homes has a ripple effect on our relationships, on our families. And the collective impact of human sin on our world is profound indeed. For nearly 80 years, human beings have had the power to end most life on Earth in a single stroke. Currently, we seem to be ending a lot of life on the planet a little more slowly than that. Did you know we're currently in the sixth major mass extinction event in the past 540 million years? By 2030, another million species could go extinct, much of it driven by human activity. We still unleash chaos on our world. Back, back at that, back in our story, God's decided to start over. As humans unleashed chaos on the world, God unleashed chaos over all living things. But curiously, another curious thing in this story, God doesn't make a completely clean break. We know from Genesis 2 that all God needs to create human beings is a little dirt. God doesn't do that. God saves Noah and his family, along with all the animals of the ark. In the midst of terrifying judgment, God shows mercy. What's even more remarkable is that God even acknowledges that the plan to start over like this, to destroy everything and start over, doesn't work. It's not in our reading, and I kind of wish I had put it in the reading today, but... Genesis 8, Noah offers a sacrifice after disembarking. God smelled the sacrifice and said in God's heart, you wonder how the, the writer, it must have been an inspiration by the Holy Spirit to know what God said to God's own self, right? But God says in God's heart, I will never again curse the ground because of humans, for the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. Something radical happens. There is a radical reorientation in God's relationship with human beings. Indeed, with all of creation here. God radically accepts us for who we are. We're inclined toward the bad thing. We all struggle with evil within ourselves. Yet we're still created in God's image. We're still proclaimed very good. God accepts humanity in all its weakness. And so God makes a covenant with humanity. The rainbow is beautiful to look at. But when the ancient Hebrews saw it, they saw a weapon of mass destruction. God promises to place his bow in the clouds, to not take it up, so that God will see it 
Interesting. It's not so humans will see it. So God sees it. And God seeing the bow will remember God's promise to not destroy every living thing by unleashing chaos again. Our world indeed is a chaotic one, especially it seems over the past 21 years since 9-11, and especially over the past three since COVID. I wonder sometimes what it might have been like if things had gone differently. Would we have gone down as dark of a path as we seem to have gone down? Would more young men from my generation be alive today? Families of their own? What would the world be look like? It's impossible to say for certain. But one thing is certain. No matter how chaotic things get, when it seems like we will be overwhelmed by the floods of our world, God is present. God gives us the strength as a community to endure these floods of life and to respond with compassion and mercy. And though God's judgment in this story is indeed terrible, God's mercy is stronger still. James wrote in his letter, Mercy triumphs over judgment. That sums up the message of the cross. That sums up what we do here every Sunday, the message that you hear preached. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In the cross, the full powers of chaos were unleashed on Jesus. Yet God in Christ set aside retribution and neutralized the sin of the world by carrying it on himself. Christ absorbed the flood of sin we unleashed and brings about reconciliation and mercy. God has been in the mercy business for a long time. Over the next five weeks, we're going to hear more about how God's mercy triumphs over judgment as we hear about God's covenants with humanity, about God's promises. And though our actions can bring chaos, God brings order. God, fill your hearts with that order, with that mercy, that you may bring God's calm over the stormy waters of your life.